This is June 27th, and this is where we at the Shior. Okay, um, next Wednesday, Mr. Shem, there will be a Shior here, except that I won't be here, but you are invited to the Shiva Chachme Lublin in Poland at this time to hear the uh, Dafyomi, which where the Dafyomi was initiated back in 1923 by Rameh Shapiro, the illustrious Rosh Hashiva of the Yeshiva Chachmir Lublin. In two weeks' time I'll be back, and um, there'll be another Wednesday in July, July 18th, that I won't be here, because after my trip to Poland next week, I'm actually going back to Krakow for a day and a half to lecture at a, um, a, a Jewish Studies conference in the university in Krakow, which in itself is a story. So I won't be here for Wednesday the 18th. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, right. I won't be here Wednesday the 18th. Even though I'm coming back early in the morning, it was decided that not to schedule the share. You know, sometimes a plane is late, and uh, and that I thought I might be able to make the share, but they advised me. Please schedule your lectures on Sunday and Monday. <laughs> Out of the country. Out of the country. Please. So... so uh, Next uh, Wednesday, I won't be here. The Wednesday after, I will be here. That's the uh, 11th, the 12th, the 12th, the 12th, January 12th. And then the 19th, I will not be here. Uh, and then afterwards, um, I should be here for, uh, uh, and so on. Uh, right, hopefully, unless otherwise indicated. But uh, that's the way it looks now for July. So it'll be a little bit on and off. But it'll be indicated in the Torah Tepes as well. So next week, there'll be a guest here. The week after, I'll be back. This coming Shabbat is the target date to Shiva Sabbath Tammuz. We know that we fasted on Sunday. And uh, last Sunday night at my English year, monthly English year at the Ol Nechama, I addressed the subject of where the, when exactly do the three weeks begin. Do they begin with Motzei Shabbat, which is the beginning of the fast of uh, Shiva Sabbath Tammuz? Does it begin perhaps on Sunday morning, is when the fast exa- begins at about a quarter to four in the morning? Or does it begin actually on Shabbat with the target date? I'm not going to repeat the whole share, uh, except for the fact that this coming Shabbat, we do not yet read any of the special haftahot for the three weeks. So we know that uh, we have a custom that we deviate from the normal haftarah, which usually reflects the theme of the parsha, to something seasonal, just like on Shabbat Rosh Chodesh, or Shabbat Chanukah, or Parshat Shkalim, or Zachor, and Parah Chodesh. You have the seasonal haftarot. So here you have actually ten seasonal haftarot, one after the other, and those are the three weeks, and then seven weeks between Tisha B'Av and Rosh Hashanah, the seven haftarot of consolation, of Nechama. So you have the three of affliction, Shalosh de Poranuta, and seven de Nechamta, seven of, of consolation. So we have now a core of ten haftarot that are special. But this coming Shabbat is Parshat Balak, and it's the regular haftarah, Parshat Balak, in spite of the fact that it is the date, the calendar date, the 17th of Tammuz. Now the, um, the concept of the three weeks, as we know it today with reduction of, uh, of moments of Simcha, is not mentioned in Chazal, it's not mentioned in the Mishnah or the Gemara as a period of mourning. The period of mourning mentioned in the Mishnah and picked up by the Rambam is from Rosh Chodesh Av, or what we call the nine days. Mishenichnas Av as the Rosh Chodesh Av hits, we reduce our Simcha. And then comes the whole discussion, uh, what exactly is prohibited in the nine days from the point of view of the Mishnah, what exactly is prohibited in the week that Tisha B'Av falls out, Shavuot Shechalbo. It was in Ashkenazi circles that the concept of the nine days became actually expanded 
to the whole three weeks. And the concept of Shavuah Shechalbo, that which we're not allowed to do, the week of Tisha B'av, from Shabbat until whenever Tisha B'av comes out, was expanded in Ashkenazi circles to the whole nine days. So we've, we've actually um, somehow broadened the horizons of, um, of this period of mourning. Now this period of mourning, the three weeks, is, is, has a nickname, Bein HaMitzarim, between the straits, between the boundaries. And this is based on a Fasuk in Megillat Eicha from the first parak called Rodfeha Hisiguha Bein Hamtsarim. It refers to the enemy who caught us in a trap, as if to say, in a pincer type attack between the two boundaries. But what Chazal did was they lifted the phrase Bein Hamtsarim out of context and they said they are calendar boundaries. And the question is, when does this calendar boundary begin and when does it end? And here Chazal, it's not yet on the page, Chazal focused on the Haftarah of the first week of the three weeks, which is going to be read not this coming Shabbat, but in a week and a half's time, uh, for Parshat Pinchas. And that is from Yirmiyahu, Perak Aleph, the first chapter of Yirmiyahu. And Yirmiyahu's in, in, initiation into Nevoah, into prophecy, the world of prophecy, is with through two visions. One he sees, sees a, a boiling pot boiling over, and he sees an uh, almond stick, Makel Shaked Aniroeh. And the interpretation of the Makel Shaked is that um, something is going to happen, and it's going to happen rather quickly, like the blossoming of the Shaked. It's imminent. The, the vision of the Makel Shaked had to do with imminence, and the vision of the boiling pot, which it spout, pointed north like a compass, was Mitzafon Tipatach Hara'ah. The bad omen is coming from the north, and the reference directly was to Babylon, to Bavel. That Bavel is coming in. And Bavel is not coming in in 3,000 years. Bavel is coming in soon, sooner than you think. And that's the Makel Shaked Ani Ro'eh. I see an almond stick, and the Kadosh Baruch said, it's going to happen very, very, very quickly. So the Chazal say, how, what, what, why was the shaked used? Why was the almond branch used? So it says that in the, um, in the Talmud Yerushalmi, it says that it takes 21 days for the uh, shaked for, to blossom from a certain point of its maturation to another point of its maturation. It takes 21 days. And you have to be a botanist to really understand and see that there's, this is the case. But the Ujami doesn't bring us into the scientific science lab. It just tells us an empirical fact of 21 days and says, well, we're going to see in the shiur right now that in order to know when the three-week period ends, you have to know when it begins. So for our purposes, and this is how we all grew up, it begins with the 17th of Tammuz and ends with Tisha B'av. Those are the three weeks. It's a simple, it's a simple calculation. There's only one problem. The 17th of Tammuz is relevant in terms of the Romans crashing the walls of Yerushalayim in uh, leading to the second Beit HaMikdash. But in terms of the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash, in Sef Malachim Bet, Perakaf it reads very, very clearly that the Babylonians crashed the walls of Yerushalayim on the ninth day of Tammuz. On the fourth month, which is the month of Tammuz, on the ninth B'Tish Abo, on the ninth day of Tammuz. So if that's the case, the... Um, the Talmud Yerushalmi claims, and this is maybe should be somewhat novel, unless you're an expert in Talmud Yerushalmi, that if you start counting three weeks from the ninth of Tammuz, you're going to end up on Rosh Chodesh Av. And there was an opinion, there was an opinion that the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash 
commenced on Rosh Chodesh Av, not on Tishabov. The, the date Tishabov is not mentioned in Tanakh at all. As a matter of fact, the two dates, there are two conflicting dates mentioned in Tanakh regarding the burning of the first Beit HaMikdash. One is the 10th of Av, and the other is the 7th of Av. But the 9th is not mentioned. And Chazal deal with this. We have a tradition that the second Beit HaMikdash for sure was destroyed on Tishabov, and then Chazal tried to put the first one on that date also, uh, and, 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 and so on. But, uh, but there is an opinion that it actually was Rosh Chodesh. Now, I, I should have begun with the, 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 the line of the comedian who asked, and sometimes you can trick uh, youngsters in this area, by saying, um, uh, if Tisha B'Av came out on Rosh Chodesh, would we fast it? So, of course, you know, it sounds funny, because Tisha B'Av can't be, the ninth of B'Av can't be on the first of B'Av. But it's not so funny. The Talmud Yerushalmi suggests that the fast of the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash was actually Rosh Chodesh. Because that's the three weeks that ends with the ninth of of Tammuz, that according to the Pasuk, this was the date that the Babylonians crashed through the walls of Yerushalayim. And I firmly believe that this view that says that the three-week period is not as we have it, Shabbat Shabbat Tammuz until Tisha B'av, but rather the ninth of Tammuz until Rosh Chodesh Av, this is what gave birth to the Mishnah, Mishinichnas Av Mima'atim B'Semcha. Why is it so significant that nine days before Tisha B'av, we already begin a period of mourning? The answer is because there was this other tradition that the destruction was observed on Rosh Chodesh. Whereas we have adopted the ninth, of Av as being the day. Nevertheless, in recognition of the fact that there was this alternative date, so we have it in mind as well. And that's why Mishinichnas Av, when Rosh Chodesh Av hits, we already enter into a, pe- a period of upgraded mourning. We're at, being that uh, this year we're dealing with issues of uh, science, so I, I, I figured exactly where am I going to bring into the science before I get to the examination of the Piyut, the poem that is, will be said this coming Sunday in the Slichot of Shiva Sabatamus. So one has to do with the general problem of fasting. Uh, a much bigger expert on the subject is my daughter, who's a, a, a gynecologist and has dealt with the question of, of pregnant women and nursing women with fasting in Yom Kippur and the impact of fasting in general on human beings and age differences of people who fast and so on. I should invite her in here to give you that full-blown lecture and so on. So there is an issue about people who have medical difficulties and uh, you know, and the leniencies that are, are involved in the halakhic system to, God forbid, not jeopardize anybody's life. I mean, that, that has to be understood. Especially this year, Shavasa Tammuz is a nitra. It's pushed uh, for, you know, till Sunday, so that even makes it even to a lower level of a fast day. By the way, that's the same for Tisha B'av this year, with Tisha B'av is Shabbat, pushed to Sunday, and there are some leniencies because it happens to be a nitra. It's not the date, but it's been pushed. <clears throat> yeah, they're not going to get into this in a second. So that's one level of a scientific discussion, which I'm not going to do now. But the other has to do with botanic, botanics, botany. And uh, here, Rabbeinu Google helped me a little bit <clears throat> with some information. Shlita. So I began studying about the maturation of the almond. And lo and behold, there were serious researchers who dealt with the study of various plants. And this particular researcher used four different zones of California. And he did that because there are different species 
of almonds. So, you know, just because you, ha- you accumulate data on one species doesn't mean it's going to be true for the next. So if you can get the more species you can get, the, the more accurate the data or data is going to be in order to formulate some serious uh, scientific conclusion. But the bottom line is, even if you don't, ha- you're not, you're not going to be able to see the numbers from here, but I'm holding up two charts of which this particular researcher examined a variety of species of, uh, of almonds, and um, lo and behold, some of them, he's got quite a few here, quite a few different species, uh, and, and the number between what he calls um, transition to reproductive stage and carpal initiation of floral development and differentiation, you got that? You're with me on that? I'm not. But if you were a botanist, this would be simple English. Uh, but obviously it refers to a mo- the change, the transition in the development of the almond uh, you know, growth. Uh, so there are different time factors. And, and listed in these time factors, you have to realize the Mishnah was not written uh, with respect to uh, California almonds. It was res- written respect to Mideast- Mideastern almonds, right? So that has to be taken into consideration too. But nevertheless, in seven of these examples, four of them, the number is 21, one of them is 22, two of them are 22, and one is 23. Which means that it's pretty close that there is a species out there of an almond that the Chachamim of Eretz Yisrael, the Talmud Yerushalmi, were aware of that something does occur in this 21-day period that Yirmiyahu sees the Makel Shaked Daniroeh that Yirmiyahu had the number 21 flashing right in front of his eyes. That's why he saw the Makel Shaked and he was being told something about the relevance of 21. It's going to have something to do with the story of the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. So I already anticipated that there are two different opinions on the subject, what the three weeks are. So uh, I'm just going to begin with the Pasuk that you don't have and then we'll get to source number one. The, the Pasuk that some of my kids think will be engraved on my tombstone because I love to quote it all the time. It's a Pasuk that I, I really, I'm, as I say, mukhubar, I'm connected to. It's the Pasuk in Zechariah Perichet where the Navi Zechariah was asked a halachic question. It's interesting. Like a Shaila Chuvak, halachic question in the Navi. Now that we're building the second Beit HaMikdash, do we still have to fast Tishabov? That's a pretty good Shaila. That's a pretty good shayla. Yeah, do we start, is the, what happens to Tisha B'Av? We're fasting Tisha B'Av for, 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 for 70 years. Now what's the deal with the fast day? Do we still continue crying, wailing, weeping, mourning on the fast of the fifth month, which is the month of Av? And two chapters later, you get this beautiful answer. It's so beautiful, we don't know what the answer is. It's almost reminiscent that sometimes people call me up on the phone with a shayla, and the Rav Zechon always taught us when somebody asks you a shayla, it's an opportunity to teach Torah. Don't just say yes or no, but explain the background and so on, so on, so on, so on. And the person might be, you know, get a 15-20 minute mini shear out of the whole thing. And then I hang up. My wife says, but you didn't tell the person if it's also a mutter. I have to call back. I forgot to tell the person what the din is. You know, after the whole nice beautiful shear. So you have to remember there's a bottom line at the end of it. 
So the um, th- this is a, a, a so Zechariah was asked this tremendous question, and he gives a beautiful answer. Except we don't know is the answer yes or no. It's a little bit of a problem. And that launched a machloket amongst the commentators. Did he say, yes, you have to continue fast? Did he say, no, no more fasting? What does it say? It says, Kom Hashem Tzvot, God has, here's the message. the fast of the fourth month, which is Tammuz. Tzomach the fast of the fifth month, which is Av. Tzomach which is Tzom Gedalia in Tishrei. The Tzomach the fast of the month of Tevet. Yiyel Levet Yehuda, L'Sosonu Simcha, L'Moadim Tovim. Can you get a better answer than that? What's problematic is, we don't know when. Now, tomorrow, in a million years, we don't know when this will take place. And the Rambam says, this is for the third Beit HaMikdash. There was never an implementation of this Pasuk that the fast days have been converted to Chagim, to Yomim Tovim. That will happen one day, but it didn't happen yet. And the Rambam is of the opinion that during the duration of Bayit Sheni, we still fast at Tisha B'Av, which is an ironic thing. The Beit HaMikdash is up and running, and we're fasting for the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. And Ramam explains why. But he felt that there was still Churban in the air. There was still, there was still something to mourn when they saw the second Beit HaMikdash that didn't add up to the glory of the first. There was a gap between the first and the second. While others felt that, uh, no, the, the fast days were abandoned, uh, maybe not made into Yamim Tovim, but certainly no need to fast these fast days in the days of Bayacheni. But against the background of uh, this Pasuk, the Navi Zechariah is never told a specific date. He's told the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth month. So what exactly is the date? And on every single one of them, there is somewhat of a dispute as to what the date is. For, for example, Tzom Gedalia. When is Tzom Gedalia? Gimel Tishrei, the day after day after Rosh Hashanah, right? Uh-huh. If unless it's Shabbat, and then it's moved to Sunday, the fourth. But that's just a Sunday, a Shabbos issue. You know, it can happen with Shabbos Batamas also. <laughs> but there's a machloket whether Gedalia was assassinated on Gimel or assassinated on Rosh Hashanah, the first day. But you can't fast on Rosh Hashanah. You can't fast the next day. It's also Rosh Hashanah. So every year it's pushed two days up. It's always a nitra. It's pushed to Gimel. So the Machloket, when did the assassination of Gedalia take place? Although they made the fast day on the 3rd. I'm not sure that that was the date of the assassination. With regard to Tevet, there's all Machloket in the Gemara. What do we commemorate in Tevet? It was one of, our opinion is we commemorate the fact that the Babylonians lay siege around Yerushalayim two and a half years before the destruction, on the 10th of Tevet. But there's another opinion that the fast of the 10th of Tevet is not the 10th, it's the 5th of Tevet. It's the day that the Babylonian Jewish community, half a year after the destruction, caught wind of the fact of the bad news that there was a destruction. So it's a different event completely, the Tzom HaSiri. With regard to uh, Tisha B'Av, I already mentioned, there's, a diff- there's in Tanakh itself the difference of opinion. Is it the 7th, is it the 10th? And then there's the opinion, the Yushalmi, maybe it's the 1st. And then with Shavas of Atamus, there's a uh, Machloke. Is it the 9th or the 17th? Clearly, Zechariah is not talking about the destruction of the 2nd Beit HaMikdash. He's referring to the building of the 2nd Beit HaMikdash, which means he's referring to the destruction of the 1st Beit HaMikdash. When the question was asked, do we continue fasting, Fasting for the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. And he mentioned Somach HaRavi'i, the fast of the fourth day. So in source number one on the page, from Yirmiyahu, Parak Nun Bet, last chapter of Yirmiyahu, it says, 
on the fourth month, Chodesh, on the ninth of the month, by Ba'ir, the famine, because this is after two and a half years of siege that the Babylonians lay around the city, there's no bread any longer for the people, the walls were split. This was the crashing of the walls of Yerushalayim in the days of the Babylonians, leading to the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. There's a date, the ninth of, 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 of the fourth month of Tammuz. Now in source number two, from the Gemara Baba Rosh Hashanah, it says, Tanya, it says, Abraita, Amar Rabbi Shimon, there are four matters that Rabbi Kiva uh, gave an explanation. But I disagree. Now I'm not concerned with three out of four. I'm concerned just with one. The first one. It says in, in the Pasuk of Zechariah, the Tzomaravi, what is Tzomaravi? This is the ninth of Tammuz where the walls were crashed. Shenemar as it says. Why is it called Tzomer Revi'i? Start counting from Nisan. You'll get to Tammuz. It's very simple. And I'm not going to concern now with the whole discussion between Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Akiva. That's not my point. The point is that Gemara identifies Tzomer Revi'i with Tammuz, the ninth of Tammuz. The ninth of Tammuz. Now, there's a Mishnah in the next source. Source number three. The Mishnah in Masechet Ta'anit says, Chamishat varim eru et abotainu b'shivas Five tragic things, episodes occurred on Shivas HaBatamuz, v'chamishat b'tishabav, another five on Tishabav. B'shivas HaBatamuz, number one, nishtabu aluchot, Moshe Rabbeinu shattered the luchot, parashat kitisa. Two, batel hatamid, the daily sacrifice in Beit Mikdash came to an end. Three, Hufka'ai, ear, the walls were crashed through. Four, Saraf Afustamus etatoad, there was an episode that we have, don't have a clue who he was and when this took place, uh, burnt the Torah. And five, Hemit Selem Behechal, some type of a statue, maybe even a reference to Christianity, a cross, was put up in Beit HaMikdash, in the area of Beit HaMikdash. Now, what's absent in this Mishnah is... Are we talking about the first Beit HaMikdash or the second Beit HaMikdash? Obviously, breaking of the Luchot has nothing, nothing to do with this. It's just it's a target date. But, what about Batel HaTamid? What about Hufka'ir? So the Gemara deals with this in the next source, 4, in Masechet HaTamid, on this Mishnah. Hufka'ir B'Shivasar, Avi? You want to tell me that the walls were crashed through on the 17th? How can you say that? The Pasuk in Yirmiyahu says that it was the 9th. It says, and so on. Immediately after, it says, So in Sefer Yirmiyahu, the date is the 9th of Tammuz, not the 17th of Tammuz. Amarava, the great Amora Rava, has an answer. Loikasha, not a problem. Not a problem. Kan Barishona, Kan Bashniya. The Pasuk is talking about Bait Rishon. Clearly, Yirmiyahu is talking about the destruction of the first Bait Midash. Then the Babylonians crashed through the walls on the 9th. The Mishnah is talking about the Romans crashing through 500 years later when they destroyed the second Bait Midash. The Tanya, as it reads in Abraita, Barishona, Hufka'ir, Batisha, Batamuz, Bashniya, Bishivasarbo. There's even a, a source that somehow remained that documented the different, different datings between what was mentioned in 
the Tanakh and what's mentioned in the Mishnah. So it's not a contradiction. Wonderful, there were two destructions. Unfortunately, that wasn't so wonderful. There were two destructions. The, and both the method of conquering had to do with crashing the walls. Babylonians did it on the 9th, and the, um, the Romans did it on the 17th. Which means that when Zechariah was talking about the fast of the fourth month will become a Yom Tov, which calendar date was he referring to? The 9th or the 17th? The 9th. Because he's refer- referring to the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. Okay, fine. Sounds good so far. In Masechet Rosh Hashanah, in source number 5, refer- referring to that source number 2, the Tosfot perks up and comments on what the Gemara identifies the Tzomer of the as the ninth of Tammuz. Ze Tish'ave Tammuz, Shebo Hufka'ir. Tosfot says, knowing fully well, this is straight out of, lifted out of the Gemara of Masechet Ta'anit, source number 4. Hainu Barishonah, yeah, 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 that happened in the first Beit HaMikdash time. Avo the second destruction, the Romans crashed through on the 17th. And now Tosfot starts talking. And therefore, we fast on the 17th. Now Tosfot doesn't go through, follow through, we're going to see it in other commentators, they follow through with this sentence. The question is, if the same event took place but for leading to the first and the second Beit HaMikdash, Babylonians and then the Romans, the ninth and then the 17th, why do we just have a fast on the 17th? Why don't we have a fast also on the ninth? That's what, and Tosfot seems to be intimating that we today are suffering directly from the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash and only indirectly from the destruction of the first. So therefore, it's closer to us. We are closer to the destruction of the second, and that impacted on our uh, exilic life, the life of Galut, because of the destruction of the second Beit Midrash. And hence, if we're going to choose between the dates, and why not just take both, we'll see in a second, that's too much for the community to take, so there had to be a, a choice here, if we're going to pick and choose, we went with the second date, the 17th, because we are directly, uh, imp- we've been impacted by the destruction of second Beit Midash. But now comes the Tosfot with a quote from the Talmud Yerushalmi, which is phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. So before I read it inside, I'll just give you a broad outline. The Talmud Yerushalmi has a tradition that just as the Romans crashed through the walls of Yerushalayim on the 17th, so did the Babylonians crash through the walls of Yerushalayim 500 years earlier on the 17th of Tammuz. Really? But that goes against the Pasuk. How can you say that? Pasuk in Yirmiyahu was pretty black and white. B'chodesh HaRavii, B'tisha L'chodesh, fourth month, ninth day of the month. The Yerushalmi has an unbelievable suggestion. The ninth month, ninth day of Tammuz, written in Yirmiyahu, was written deliberately wrong by Yirmiyahu. Deliberately wrong. Why would he do something like that? Because he wanted to give over to us, 2,500 years later, the gravity of the tragedy that was going on, the chaotic situation that was going on at the time of the Churban, that people lost track of time. 
it was a bulbul, it was a mishmash of time. And although in the channels of oral Torah Shabbal oral law, it, the real date did make it through the rabbinic halls that it was the 17th, but for posterity, we would read, read in Sefer Yirmiyahu the wrong date. And the phrase that the Yerushalmi uses, Kilkul HaKeshbonot, a mix-up of the calculation of dates. Now, this may sound very, very strange, but anybody who has ever talked to anybody who survived at least three months in a place like Auschwitz will concur that they lost track of time. They lost track of time. And, and, and they're just, you know, Shabbos with no Shabbos. It wasn't a question they couldn't keep Shabbos. They didn't have a clue any longer when was Shabbat, when was Achag, and so on. This in itself is an expression of the tragedy. I may have told you the story once of uh, a woman, Sarah Tesla, who's uh, not a youngster from uh, Kibbutz Yavna, and we dragged her over with our yeshiva group from Chashmanoim once in uh, Krakow on a Matzah Shabbos, and she told us the story of her being a 17-year-old in Auschwitz, and they were walking towards, uh, in the morning, towards, when uh, they're coming back, back from the work detail, and they were passing a gate, the fence where the men on the other side were, and one man yells over to the other, tomorrow's Yom Kippur. You've heard the story from me. And at Tomorrow's Yom Kippur. So she made a cheshman. Tomorrow's Yom Kippur. How many people in Auschwitz are going to fast on Yom Kippur? She was 17 years old. She decided she's going to fast Yom Kippur. Fine. And they went to work. and It was hard labor. And she comes back. And as they're passing again, the men on the other side, one yells out, we made a mistake. Yes, today wasn't Yom Kippur. Tomorrow's Yom Kippur. And she did not break a fast and went another 24 hours. And when it came the next time, a third, this happens again, a man yells out, we made another mistake. Today for sure wasn't Yom Kippur. Maybe it was yesterday, maybe it was tomorrow. And she looked up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and said, I don't have a clue when Yom Kippur is, but at least take my 48 hours as if it was Yom Kippur. It was a tremendous story. But behind the scenes of that story is they didn't have a clue what was going on. Even the men who thought they knew, they didn't know either. They didn't know. Nobody, women didn't, didn't know. They didn't know. Kilkul HaKashbonot. And Yirmiyahu, according to the Talmud Yerushalmi, wanted to preserve this for posterity. What kind of balagan this was in terms of time? Yeah, Baksha, Jake. Time and Corbin. He was there on the scene. He was on the scene. He was on the scene. For sure. This is not the historic reporting or something like that. Imam is on the scene. So this is what the, in source number 5 it says, This Baita is found also in a, a variant, a variant reading in the Yerushalmi. And there it says, where it says that um, is the 17th. Not like it's read in the Bavli, the 9th. It says the 17th. In spite of the fact, in the Pasuk in Yirmiyahu, it says, on the 9th of the month, there was a complete mess up in terms of sensitivity to time. And the Tamu Yushalmi argues with our Gemara, the Bavli. But what Zelomar wants to explain, the Mitoch Tirdatam, because they were so, um, the word Tirda means so just involved, preoccupied, preoccupied, they made a mistake in the, in the calculation of the date. And the Pasuk, that means Yirmiyahu, did not want to deviate from the error that they made. So we should understand it. So we should understand 
how, how tragic, what the, what, a little, something about the atmosphere of what was going on on the eve of the Churban The next source, source number six, is the very Yerushalmi on this. This is what Tosfut quoted in the source before. And now we're just going to jump to the next source, seven. It says, even though it says in the Pasuk, the Shulchan Aruch says, we don't fast on the, te- the ninth of Tammuz, we only have the fast of the 17th. Even the Shulchan Aruch is taking the line of the Talmud Bavli, even though the Babylonians crashed through the walls on the ninth, Nevertheless, because the Romans crashed through the walls on the 17th, leading to the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash, it was established that we fast only on the 17th. The destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash is more severe for us. For us. I think because maybe the they came back and built the second day so they had okay the you can accept that too but if you take a look at the next source at the bottom of the page from the Mishnabura he says betet on the ninth because the obvious question is so who fans both days what's the problem here why pick and choose why don't we have both? So he says, Chazal did not want to establish a fast also on the 9th and also on the 17th of Tammuz. That's too much. That's too much. You know, come on, then it's going to be a fast three weeks later again. Tishabov, too much, too much. That compassion on Am Yisrael. So now we flip over to the next page. So what we see so far, just a little uh, subtotal, and that is that <coughs> there seems to be a machloka at the Spitz in Babi Rishalmi, whether the Babylonians crashed through the wall on the 9th or on the 17th. The Shulchan Aruch adopts the position of the Talmud Bavli, that the Babylonians crashed through on the 9th, but we fast on the 17th, because we are more directly affected by the destruction of 17th, and we don't have a double header on the 9th and the 17th, because that's too much for the tzibur. Now comes the Rambam. You know, if not for the Rambam, we wouldn't have a shear. <laughs> Rambam says in his Mishnah commentary to Masechet Rosh Hashanah, just look at the last line, he's quoting the Pasuk from Zechariah, and he's explaining, He's explaining the Pasuk in Zechariah. One second, Zechariah? Zechariah is talking about the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. Now, it's okay to think that the Rambam deviated from everybody else and adopted the position of the Yerushalmi. We have such precedent in Rambam thinking. So, he thinks that the Babylonians also crashed through the walls on the 17th. You could, that could be. And if you take a look at the next source, source number 10, from the Rambam in the, in the Ilchot Taniyot, so he gives us the various fast days. Eluhain, Yom Shlishi B'Tishrei Shabo Neira Gedalia B'Nechikam. Ram takes a stand that Gedalia was not assassinated on Rosh Hashanah, but was assassinated on the 3rd. 
ונכבד גחלת ישראל הנשארה וסבב להתם גלותם. הרמב"ם אומר, אנחנו לא פרסים כי גדליה הייתה נכבדת. אנחנו פרסים כי זה באמת נכבד את הגלות, את האקזוף מארץ ישראל. עשירי בטבעת שבו שמח מלך בבל ומחנץ הרשע ירושלים והביא במצור מצוק. דתן לטבעת טו נפייס בפור דסטרקשן, ונבוכנץ על דקינג הבבל לסייג' ארון ירושלים. ושבעשר בתמוז חמישה דברים ערובו. Five things happened on שבעשר בתמוז. נשתברו הלוחות, the לוחות were broken, fine, that's פרשת כתיסה. And now look what he writes. בטל התמיד מבית ראשון. The phrase מבית ראשון doesn't appear in the Mishnah. The Rambam is inserting it. בטל התמיד, the קורבן תמיד was abandoned at the time of the destruction of בית ראשון, on 17th תמוז. והופקעה ירושלים, and the city of Yerushalayim was crashed through בחורבן שני. Why does he say that? Because he does not believe that the Talmud Yerushalmi is correct, that the Babylonians crashed through on the 17th as well. Only the Romans on the 17th. Because the Babylonians did it on the 9th. Like the Talmud Bavli. That's why he emphasized, Batela Tamid Bibayit Rishon, Vufka Yerushalayim Bechurban Sheni. So if you just jump to sources 12, and that is the Lecha Mishnah, one of the... Uh, One of the commentators on the Rambam, he writes, In spite of the fact that the first day of the Pasuk in Zechariah, Zechariah talked about the ninth, but because the city was crashed on the ninth, nevertheless, today of Dinan Lebi Yudzayin, we fast on the 17th, This is very similar to what we saw previously in the Shulchan Aruch. That we, uh, direct uh, uh, beneficiaries, if you may, of the second destruction, and that's why we fasted. Now, this is all in line with the fact that, that really there was such a thing called the fast of the 9th of, Teve, uh, of Tammuz, except that no longer does anybody fast on the 9th of Tammuz. That's really the line that most of them take. Now, we're going to see that that's not exactly what the Rambam had in mind. Not exactly what the Rambam had in mind. Because even if you just look at um, um, source number uh, 11, the source right before, that's the Rambam Milchot Taniyot, and he says, here are the four fast days. Mufurashin Kabbalah doesn't mean the Zohar, it means in Navi, in the Nevi'im. Tzomer Ravi, Tzomer Hamishi, Tzomer Shvi, Tzomer Siri, he quotes the Pasuk of Zechariah, and he says, Tzomer Ravi, Zeshiv HaSabbat Tammuz, Shuba Chodesh Ravi. The Rambam doesn't believe that Zechariah was referring to the 9th of Tammuz. He believes Chayyim is referring to the 17th of Tammuz. So why did he say that the walls were crashed through in the Churban Sheni only? The answer is, there were two different reasons for the fast of the 17th of Tammuz. One after the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash, and one a different reason after the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash. The fact that the Babylonians crashed through the walls of Yerushalayim on the night of Tammuz did not bring about a fast day. Chachamim never made a fast day for that. Chachamim made a fast day because the korbanot came to an abrupt ending. Mutal HaTamid. And we're going to see in the Slichot, it's not just the korban tamid. But don't think for a second, the korban tamid in the morning and the afternoon they couldn't bring, but a Musaf on Shabbos they could bring. It means that the korbanot were abandoned and abolished. For that, and that happened on the 17th of Tammuz, leading to the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash. 
And on that they made a fast. In the second Beit HaMikdash, the Romans crashed through the wall on the 17th of Tammuz. And the question is, and that they made a fast day, the 17th of Tammuz. And the question is, why was the Romans' act of creation of the rules more catastrophic than the Babylonians 500 years earlier when they crashed the walls? There was no public fast day ordained. The public fast day was ordained because the sacrifice, the sacrificial activity came to an end. So we're just going to put this question in abeyance and we better answer it before the year ends. And now we're going to jump to the Pizmon. This is from the Slichot from this Sunday. Ibn Gabirol. I know there's another page. There are two pages there. If you didn't get this, second page. It has Hebrew and English. Because for most Hebrew speakers, the Hebrew is Chinese. So it's, you have to work hard. This is medieval poet, Hebrew poetry, which is not easy. This is not you know, reading a peritillum that we're familiar with. Ibn Kabirol, to some, is a street in Yerushalayim in Tel Aviv. But he happened to have been a great Spanish poet of the 11th century. And this is one of his uh, poems that is said in the Ashkenazi Slichot year in and year out on Shavos HaVatamus. She'ein esar asher nimsar. Put your finger on the English as I read the Hebrew. Right? I'll turn to the captives. Who are the captives? We're Jews, right? We're the captives. We're asking Kadosh Baruch Hu, she'ei, like she'ei v'ratzon. He should turn to us. There's a, we use it, it's an expression of supplication, of tefillah. She'ei nesar. Asher nimsar, who is given over. What's the word? Nimsar, the root would be Aleph Samach Reish. Bound, prisoned, nimsar, given over, biyad, bavel, vigam, seir. Who is bavel? We know who bavel is, Babylon. Who is seir in the Torah? Esav. And who is Esav in Chazal? Rome. Exactly. So poetically, he's saying we were given over twice once to the Babylonians and once to the Romans. And this is going to be a theme throughout the poem. He's going to be saying something that occurs twice in history. Towards the destruction of the first Beit HaMikdash, towards the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash. Lecha yehemeh zekameh. I'm reading the English. This long time they have been crying to thee in supplication like a little child. Ibn Kapirol is just a thousand years after the Chorban. We're almost two thousand years. And to him this was a long time already. We're not out of this. Like a little baby crying. The day that the enemy was victorious and the walls were vanquished, was split. Which, which day? The day that we're saying this. On Shavuot of Batamas. Who did it? Gam Bavel Vigam Seir. Number one, Ibn Gabriel has taken a stand in favor of the Yerushalmi. That not only did the Romans crash through the walls of Yerushalayim, but the Babylonians did so as well. So he's not making it up. He has a basis in Chachma Eretz Yisrael to, to make this comment. And then he says, Lizot ikaf ve'espokaf. It's a phrase you're going to find in this week's parasha of Balak, when Balak goes, I can't believe you did this. You know, it's an anger and frustration type of gesture. And you have it in Eicha as well. 
Five things happened. So obviously he's got the Mishnah in front of him, and he's going to give a poetic reconstruction of the Mishnah. Of the Mishnah. On the footsteps of the golden calf, the Luchot left my hands, left my hands, Moshe Rabbeinu's hands, and they shattered, obviously. No longer would there be a Korban Tamid in Beit HaMikdash. And therefore, I lost my power of prophecy, which means my connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu became blotted out. And I was captured in the city. This is a direct reference to the walls having fallen. And, and some type of a statue was put up in Elil, in the Heichal Kalil, in the, in the, in the, in the hall of, of, of Kadosh Baruch Hu. And your law, means the Torah, went up, was consumed in fire, hit ear. Now it's basically restated the five things that happened in the, in the, in the Mishnah. All these things happened. And then he says, you remember the words in the Gilat Esther? She became faint. Esther became faint. So he's very faint. The Yom Shaddai Dechafoni. Kadosh Baruch Hu on this day has pushed me. What is Shvifon? First of all, something from the north. So obviously this can be related to Bavel. Mitzafon di Potachara'a. It's snakes. Correct. Correct. It is snakes. And you should know that when we study in Chumash about Sichon Melech Og and Og Melech Habashan, where is Eretz Habashan? Today in the map. Where is it? It's in the in the north. Where in the north? East, west, south, south. Where in the north? We talk about the north. It's in the Golan. It's the Golan. It's Eretz Habashan. And Eretz Habashan, you know that in um, pure biblical Hebrew to late Tanakhic Hebrew to rabbinic Hebrew, a shin becomes a taf. A shin becomes a taf. Like the word shalosh. In Hebrew, in the Gemara, is tlat. Taf, lamet, taf. It's shin, lamet, shin. Right? Taf. And we, we say today an octopus is a, a tamnun or an octagon, a mituman. The Gemara calls a tamnaya, which is shmona. The, the taf replaced the shin. Okay? So that's, that's how it works. So in modern Hebrew, we've adopted this form. So, so, uh, so, the, the, so the, in, in the word bashan, if the shin replaced by a taf, becomes an avatav, and a bet and pay in Semitic languages are interchangeable. Ask any Arab. You know, they, they know that, you know. They, they hear it all the time from them. What is the, the voice, be- voice sound? Yeah, but also they're, they're first cousins. A bet and a pay are interchangeable, right? Get a bush, bush, push, you know, so it's the same thing. Right? So the, uh, the word bashan really becomes piton, pitan, pithan, python, which is a snake, which is a snake. And why was Eretz HaBashan referred to the snake land? Not because it was infested with snakes, 
but because it was the travel route from the area of Persia to the west to get to the port cities of of Tzor and Sidon, which today is in Lebanon, or Akko for that matter. So if they wanted to go to Europe, they had to get to the port cities. They didn't go through the country of Jordan today, Abdullah's country, which is completely desert. You won't survive it. They went in a north a, a, a route that was northwest. Northwest, it was like an arc type of road. Crescent, correct. And that crescent was the traveler's route, which was somewhat zigzagged because they went from oasis to oasis, wherever there was some water. And it was the travelers knew where there was water. So, you know, it wasn't water in a straight line. It was water, and it was water, and it was water, and it was water. And it looked like a snake path. And that's why it was called Eretz HaBashan. Eretz HaBashan. And that's where the Babylonians came from. Because that's when Yirmiyahu hears Mitzafon One second, Babylon is east. Why is Mitzafon? Because they're not coming from the east. They're coming from the north. That's where they're coming in. And that's what it means. They um, And it says gam And my light was darkened from word Choshech. And what Sheishach? Sheishach is a speech in itself, but Sheishach in Atbash, you know what Atbash is? When you just switch the Aleph with the Taf and the Bet with the Shin, Sheishach is Bavel in Atbash. And it's used in Sefer Miao late in the Sefer, referring to Bavel. Kemo Kadur Tzvanani, Vigam Tzayat Shalach Yad, Hatzafir Vasair. And he also sent the hunter. Who was the hunter in Tanakh? In Sefer Breshit. Ish Yudea Tzayat, Ish Sadeh. Who was that? That was Esav. He was the Ish Sair. So here in this, par- this uh, stanza, he's saying, and the Babylonians, and the Romans, and the Romans, both of us. Yom Gavar Oye Batibar Kair. The last stanza is the, is the prayer. Hod libiu mizgabi halaad abchar yashan halotireh amnil'e asher hoshcha kemo kivshan the nation that was blackened with so much tragedy and, and, and sorrow. Close the gaps. Galut means there were gaps. Close the gaps, and that's the word parrots, lifrots parrots. But it's a play on the word parrots, the two twins, Zerach and parrots. And parrots, as we know from Megillat Ruth, is the forerunner of David Amelech, of Mashiach of David HaMelech, of Mashiach Ben David. Right? So that, it's beautiful. Gidor Pirzi, Beven Parzi. Close the gap with the Ben Parzi, the use of the name Peretz, and Peretz. Umecherek Likot Shoshan. And from the thorns, we should just pick out the roses. Now it's been a thorny existence, but we want it to be roses. Beautiful, sweet, pleasant. That's what we want. B'nai Beit Zvul. What is Beit Zvul? Nickname for? Beit HaMikdash. Beit HaMikdash. V'hashev Zvul and restore the borders. Borders of Eretz Yisrael. What are the borders? HaKarmel V'habashan. What does this mean? The Bashan is the Golan where the Babylonians crashed through. And where is the Carmel? The Romans came from the, from the Mediterranean, from the port cities of Yafo and Akko. And what do you have there? The mountain of the Carmel by Haifa. Right? So basically it's saying, 
get the get them out. Prince Williams, get out. You have nothing to say anymore in this country. You're out of here. And that, that's basically what the novice, what the poet is saying. Get them out of it. Get them out of our lives. So we can restore the borders. And when we restore the borders, then we can build Beit HaMikdash. You can't build Beit HaMikdash until you restore the borders and bring Am Yisrael back. But we're not through. The ayin pekach v'nakom tkach. There's still a cheshben. There's still some revenge here. We're not going to do it. We leave it to Kadosh Baruch to do. From whom? Me'etzer umidishan. It's obviously a reference to Babel and 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 uh, and Rome, except he's using two of the nicknames of the Alufe Esav of Parshat Vayishlach, Alufe Dishan, Alufe Eitzer. There, there are many others, but what is he trying to say here? And let's just finish up the line: Shvot Ilaim Ve'Azishalaim. What is an Ilaim? A mute, somebody who can't talk. Somebody can't talk. So there's a, a halachic concept, if the person comes to Beitin and he's so nervous, he can't get, get, it, get open his mouth and say to the Dayanim what he has to say, so you help him along. You know, tell, you, you tell them, you're like a lawyer. You speak on his behalf. Let the judges speak on his behalf. Speak, open up the mouth of the one. And we have nothing to say to our Kadosh Baruch Hu. Why not? We're not going to say we didn't deserve the Galut. You say, we didn't deserve it? That's a chutzpah. So we're in Elaine. But that doesn't mean that they had a right to do it. The Az Yishalem. Where does Az Yishalem come from? What is it? Which parsha of the Chumash do you think it would come from? Parshat Mishpatim. Parshat Mishpatim. Somebody's got to pay up here. There's a cheshman. There's going to be a dintaira. Who? Hamav'eh v'hamav'ir. Knew everybody who ever learned Baba Kama knows that that's the first Mishnah of Baba Kama. There are four principal categories of damage Arba, Avot, Nezikin, Shor, an ox, Bor, a pit. And then it says Mave and Hev'er. Hev'er means Esh, means fire that consumed. You are responsible. You can't say, I've got a fire in my backyard. Well, am I responsible? The wind blew it to you and burnt your house down. Yes, you're responsible. You have to take care of these things. What exactly is Mave? We don't know. Go back to the source sheet on the bottom. Sources uh, 14, 15, and 16. In Baba Kama it says, Next source. Mar says, My Mava, what is this Mava? We don't even know what it is. Rav Rav says, Mava means Adama Mazik. A human being. It's not an axe. It's not a pit. It's a human being himself. Use your hands. You hit somebody, hurt somebody. Shmuel says, It's an animal that eat, consumes food with his teeth. It means he's, he's eating. He, you, you, let the, your, you let your dog go to the neighbor's uh, garden and started eating his tomatoes. That's called shame. That's the two opinions in the Talmud Bavli. But in the Yerushalmi, in the last source, we see something else. Mav'eh is from the phrase in Parshat Mishpatim, Ki yav'er ish sadeh ocherem v'shilachet b'iro. Zeharegel, Dichtiv Mishalchei Regel Ashor, Bachamor, Ruchtiv Haser Misukoto, Vayalivaer, Zehashim. What is that? The Tamuyu Shami says, you know what Mave is? It's two different types of damages that an ox or any animal that you own. One is trampling, means simply the animal went into somebody's territory and trampled on things and did damage. That's called Regel. And the other is ate. 
Ate up your vegetables. That's shame. Ibn Gabirol is working with the Yerushalmi. How do I know? Because Yom Gavar Ha'oyeh Bati Ha'ir was both the Babylonians and the Romans. Let's try to understand something about how history worked. What did a nation, a conquering nation, do when it took over another country? We have a lot of good examples in Tanakh about this. When the Assyrians, Ashur, took over the north part of Eretz Yisrael, they did displacement of population. They took the population of the north part of Eretz Yisrael, which are the ten tribes, and moved them east, and brought Goyim to populate, and they became the Shomronim. That's how it started. The Babylonians were much more compassionate. When they came on the scene and captured Eretz Yisrael, 18 years before the Churban, they decided to keep the existing king of Yehuda in place. Business as usual. The average guy in the street, nothing changed. The king has to pay taxes to a greater authority. But on the street, the local law and order is still in place. And um, this was in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. And then he dies, and then Jehoiakim, Yehonia, he was a half year, a short time. And then Tzitkiyahu for 11 years. 18 years. It was 18 years. I mean, 18 years? I mean, what's it called? The first one, Yoyakim, was in the fourth year of his Malacha. It was seven years. Seven plus three months plus uh, 11 years. It was 18 plus years that we were under Babylonian domination. And even after the Chorban, they still hoped that a Jewish governor can run the show. They put Gedalia into position. It didn't work. When Jews murdered him, they realized, can't work with these people. And that's when the Galut really started. But their policy was more benevolent. They just wanted one thing. You know what the problem of a, of a, of a global empire in the days of the Tanakh? Supplies. How do you bring food from, from Ninveh, from, from Bavel, to feed them? But you can't do that. So you have to assume that what the conquering countries, the countries had to do was provide food and lodging. Food and lodging for the, uh, for the soldiers. And that is interpreted by Ibn Gabirol. In the words of the Yerushalmi, what is Mave Shein Varegel? Let them into my house, Drisat Regel, and give them meals. Shame. Okay? That ran up a bill. Nobody pays for that. Am Yisrael is owed a fortune of money for the hotel accommodations and the meals that we did with the Babylon soldiers. That's Parshat Mishpatim. Somebody's got to pay for this. The Romans were something else. The Romans, when they came into a country, they burnt and they burnt and they burnt. When you do archaeology in the old city and you want to know when you hit Rome, scratch your finger with black. And that's with the charred road. Then you know you hit Rome. Because everybody knows that's what they did. They burnt and they burnt and they burnt. So what Ibn Gabirol does, he takes the last two of the four about this he came. And he says the Babylonians were the Mav'eh, the way the Yerushalmi understood it, Regal V'Shem. And Rome was the Mav'ir, was Esh, was Esh HaMazik. And that's what he says at the end of the poem. Ve'az Yishalem, and that's why he says, V'nakam kach me'etzer u'midishon. Etzer means storage, food provisions. So the food provisions we had to open up to the Babylonians. 
And Dishon is from the word Deshen, which is burnt ash. Shumat Adeshen in Beit HaMikdash. And therefore, Shvot Ileim Ve'az Yeshaleim Hamav'eh Ve'hamav'ir. Both of them are going to get it. Yom Gavar Oyev Batipakair. So what did the Rambam have in mind at the end of the day? I said we're going to answer this question. The Rambam believed that the Churban Bayit Rishon, we have to understand what was Yerushalayim to us in Bayit Rishon as opposed to Bayit Shani. In Bayit Rishon, Yerushalayim enters into the picture as the climactic move at the end of the conquering of Eretz Yisrael. And that's over 400 years after Yitzhak Mitzrayim. Over 400 years after Yitzhak Mitzrayim. That's when Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim was an enclave that was not Eretz Yisrael. It belonged to the Yavuz. And David HaMelech is the one who releases it and liberates it. David HaMelech. So what was the purpose of Yerushalayim? To unify the Shvatim. That Avodat Hashem shouldn't be Bamot, which is translated into modern idiom, Shtibluch. That everybody has their own place in the backyard making Korbanot. No. There's going to be one and one only place of Avodat Hashem. That is going to be the Beit HaMikdash. And to that end, the Rambam said, when Korbanot came to an end, that was the end of Yerushalayim. And that's why we fasted of Batel HaTamid. Whereas, by Sheni, Yerushalayim enters into the picture at the very beginning of Bayit The rebuilding of the walls of Yerushalayim by Ezra and Nehemiah symbolized Shivat Zion, the return back to Eretz Israel. So the Romans crashing through the walls of Yerushalayim was the symbol that Yerushalayim has fallen. And that's why the Ramam says, Shiva has two reasons. For Bayit Rishon, it's the abolition of the Korbanot. And for Bayit Sheni, it's the breaking down of the walls of Yerushalayim. He's not challenging that in Bayit Rishon, the Babylonians crashed on the 9th. But they never made a fast day for that. It was not that significant. What was significant was the end of Korbanot. And that's why they did it. Mir Hashem, as Zechariah said, the Tzom Ravi, Tzom Hamishi, Tzom Hashvi, Tzom Haziri, Yeh Lebeit Yehuda, Lissason, Ulissimcha. Mir Hashem, we'll see you in two weeks.